Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Paul Sims, Head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco. Bond funds had generally been out of favour with investors due to a number of concerns on this market, in particular during the last quarter of 2018. But by the second quarter of this year, investors appeared to be back in love with bonds, with net inflows into funds focused on this asset of $4.8 billion during this period, and in June alone, $2.4 billion. Dave, you've been looking at this. Why have bond funds found favour again of investors? Hi, Leonora. A lot of it seems to be linked to monetary policy. Bonds tend to perform badly when uh, interest rates rise because, in part, their yields simply look less attractive to uh, to investors. Go back to, say, October last year, the Federal Reserve in the US was looking at more aggressively raising rates, and that was unnerving bond investors slightly. But since uh, the beginning of 2019, the Federal Reserve and other central banks have generally eased off in their rhetoric. They've signalled they'll be doing less um, raising rates. And we've now had, in July, the Fed uh, cut rates for the first time in around a decade. So that's basically uh, meant that the conditions are much more benign for bond investors. Now, there's different types of bond funds. I mean, which ones have investors been particularly keen on? Most of the bond fund sectors have done quite well in June. You've seen, for example, sterling corporate bond sector, which invests in kind of higher quality but lower yielding corporate debt. They've done quite well. You've also seen um, the likes of government bond funds have done well. But the real standout has been the sterling strategic bond sector. So in June, they took in £1.1 billion in terms of net sales which is huge. It's really rare that uh, fund sectors take in more than a billion. So they've been the obvious beneficiary. What exactly are strategic bond funds and why do investors like them so much? They're often described as go-anywhere bond funds because they're entirely flexible. Say, for example, a corporate bond fund is limited mainly to, uh, as you'd expect, investing in corporate bonds. But a strategic bond fund can go all over the bond universe. So it can buy corporate bonds, it can buy some of the riskier bonds that yield more, but potentially are more likely to default on their debt. But it can also go much more defensive. It can buy things like government bonds and generally higher quality debt. Um, So they just have a much broader remit compared with any other bond product. What are strategic bond funds investing in at the moment to deal with um, challenges facing the bond market? It's an interesting one. This isn't an entirely exhaustive um, analysis, but if you look at some of the bigger, more popular strategic bond funds, they have generally been going a lot more cautious. So, for example, you take Jupiter Strategic Bond, which is now a huge bond fund, very popular. They have a significant weighting to uh, the likes of government bonds. So they are basically going for a much more cautious defensive approach. Another example is uh, M&G Optimal Income. The manager there, Richard Woolnow, also has a high weighting to higher quality bonds. Although, So he has around 20% in government bonds and then something like 40% in investment grade bonds, which are the higher quality corporate bonds. There are exceptions to this trend, but it's, the impression I'm guessing is that investors are 
favouring these kind of funds because they can be more flexible and more defensive right now. Paul, you've an passive exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, which track bond indices rather than make active selections like the funds we've just been talking about. Have bond ETFs also increased in popularity with investors over the past few months? Uh, yes, definitely. We've seen seen a, a big increase in activity so far this year, actually, overall. Um, just to reiterate those comments about... Uh, you know the the change in stance of the central banks, global central banks, the Federal Reserve, initially in December announcing that they they may pause in their hiking cycle, and then gradually moving to a more sort of dovish tone throughout the earlier part of this year, and then finally cutting um, a couple of weeks ago, um, has has really provided a, a very sort of benign environment for for bond funds overall. So central banks remaining accommodative. Yields towards the end of last year had approached levels which seemed uh, relatively attractive. And if we look at the EMEA ETF space overall, we've seen around $40 billion of, of inflows into fixed income ETFs so far this year, which, which compares with $16 billion for the whole of 2018. OK. Which of your bond ETFs are proving particularly popular with investors at the moment? So um, we, we saw very strong demand earlier in the year for our uh, U.S. Treasury ETF. So we launched a range of, of U.S. Treasury ETFs in January um, to allow investors to, to select uh, different maturity buckets, should should they so wish. Now, out of those, uh, the longest duration, the, the, the one with the highest interest rate risk, the seven to ten year maturity ETF, has had the had the most interest. So we saw shortly after launch uh, around a billion of inflows in that in the first quarter. We've continued to see ongoing uh, strong demand for, for that ETF uh, as the Fed have sort of moved to that more accommodative uh, stance. Uh, and that, that's obviously worked very well. We, we saw, um, you know, 10-year Treasury yields peaking around uh, 3.2% um, in Q4 uh, 2018. And they've rallied about 150 basis points since then. So it's, it's been a very strong rally in, in government bonds. The other area that we saw saw a lot of interest in earlier in the year is our 81 uh, capital bond ETF. So this um, this focuses on uh, hybrid securities that are issued by bank um, for a regulatory requirement. Um, and, and they offer a bit more yield because they're quite subordinated in the capital structure. Now, what we saw in the risk-off environment in, in the fourth quarter of last year is that yields on, on these 81 bonds rose quite significantly in that, that risk-off environment. And around year-end, we, we saw yields in excess of 8%, which was obviously quite attractive to investors. And we saw strong demand uh, in the first quarter uh, for that particular ETF. Why are investors going into these? You know, what role could these bonds play in your portfolio? What what, what are they getting at? I guess yeah. you, you have to sort of be quite granular with uh, look, the way you look at fixed mm. income to be able to answer this, because different types of bonds will have, have different mm. um, characteristics and, and different uh, uses for investors so you know for, for that government bond space the u.s treasuries that that's very much about safe haven flows and i, I guess that mm. that um sort of coincides with um the positioning of some of the active funds moving more defensive into into government bonds um so you know fixed income plays plays an important role in in many multi-asset portfolios if you want to go more defensive then then you could use the the core the government bond building blocks um however there is also a requirement for income in a lot of portfolios. So investors will look at the right balance between between those uh, lower-risk government bond ETFs and then their ability to maybe take on 
more risk to generate some more income by going into either investment grade or high yield or the more niche products, as I say, like the, like the AT1 space, where where they can be very specific in, in what they're targeting. Elsewhere, we, we saw actually in the ETF universe that the there have been very strong flows into emerging market debt, certainly in the first quarter this year. Mm. Um, so again, a little bit of diversification of risks by going into different parts of, of the universe. Okay. Now, traditionally, investors have turned to bonds to mitigate equity risk and downside. But some argue that this asset class is no longer as effective in doing this for a number of reasons. For example, it's not as uncorrelated. Bonds have their own risks, etc., etc. Would you agree? Well, I guess, you know, historic relationships don't always stand and, and, and the environment is, is constantly changing. Um, you know, I think if you're looking at, at using fixed income to, to mitigate that downside risk, you need to constantly monitor the, the behaviour of certain that the individual asset classes within fixed income and how those correlations are, are changing over time. Now, historically, you know, certainly government bonds have tended to have very low or negative correlations with equity markets, so have proved to be mm. quite a, a good defensive tool against an, an equity market downturn. Uh, obviously, as you move out uh, or down the rating scale into investment grade or high yield, you, you, you increase that correlation generally with, with equity markets because you're, you're taking on that credit risk. Um, so, yes, they, they're has been a sort of a, a change in that historic relationship uh, you know since the the financial crisis uh, obviously interest rate policy has has remained uh, very low from the central banks they they've employed unconventional easing policies uh, quantitative easing which is constantly changing these relationships and and you know they don't have the the uh, room to cut rates as aggressively as they they might have done in the past um so you know, I, I would say these relationships are changing. However, there is still a use of fixed income because fixed income will tend to be uh, tend to exhibit lower volatility than than equity markets. They will prove to be slightly defensive in in a a, a pull back in the, in riskier assets in, in that um, in that equity space. So while those relationships might not be as strong as they were previously, and and as I say, I think the most important thing is for investors to constantly monitor the correlations between different asset classes to make sure that their their overall allocation is behaving in the way they expect to be able to protect against any uh, any downturn or mitigate the risks in equity markets. Okay. Now, um, Dave's flagged a number of other risks facing the bond market. Um, how big a threat do you think these are? Um, and what kind of bonds are most at risk from these? So, I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at this this incredibly low yield environment really overall mm. um you know if, if we look at just the last few days the uh the entire german sovereign yield curve has has gone mm. negative so you're you're paying the german government to to lend the money for 30 years which um is obviously sort of brings a different a different risk from uh you know the, the nature of fixed incomes generally to generate income for you um i, th- I think there's a couple of things that, that have happened within the last decade since the financial crisis, which, which may be our hidden risks um, around um, the way issuance patterns have, have um, tended to develop. So as central bank policy has driven yields on, on core markets, on, on those sovereign bonds, very low, uh, it's it's allowed um, riskier issues to issue more debt and maybe longer duration, longer maturity debt as well. So what we've seen, in, certainly in the corporate bond universe, is... is um, benchmarks have tended to increase in duration so that they are potentially slightly riskier slightly more exposed to interest rate risk uh should there be a sell-off 
And there's also probably an increase uh, in in weight to the lower rated securities within those universes. So that there's been a lot of um, sort of press coverage about the the triple B problem. You know, the, the number of triple Bs, those uh, companies that are just on the cusp of investment grade to, to high yield, uh, have become increasingly in, in, you know increasingly important in the the uh, investment grade universe. So yes, risks are picking up. However, on the other side of that, I would say that you can maybe not not be overly concerned right now about these uh, we've seen uh, central bank policy remains incredibly accommodative um overall you know while while we re- remain in a sort of a low unemployment environment inflation isn't really picking up and concerning central banks and as as we've just mentioned you know actually central banks have moved to a more dovish stance over the last 6 months so i i don't think they're looking to to tighten policy in reaction to any specific shocks to the to the economy whereby that would drive yields much higher uh, and be a concern for for that interest rate risk, the duration risk in some of these funds, and they're very keen on on promoting ongoing growth. So you're you're not choking off that the the income for the, those lower rated uh, corporates. So I, I think these are things that investors should be aware of, but I don't think there's an immediate risk uh, within that. Okay, um, bearing that in mind, though, um, what areas of bond and debt markets are the best places to allocate to at the moment to avoid these issues? So again, I, I think this it really comes back mm. to um, diversifying your sources of risk. I mean, I touched on the the idea of you know monitoring the correlations between different asset classes mm. and and making sure you're not overly concentrated or overly exposed to certain parts of the market uh, that then may not be behaving or reacting in in the way that they they may have done historically. Um, I, I I would. As I say, really look at diversifying those sources of risk, certainly within fixed income, and, and not looking at fixed income necessarily as, as a single asset class, but looking at the different um, areas from governments to investment grades or high yield, and then to more niche exposures, whether that's emerging markets or or the AT1 product that I mentioned earlier. I, I think importantly, you know, when you look at the way uh, you, you structure a, a fixed income part of your, your fund, you want to try and div- by diversifying those sources of, of risk, you really want to make sure you have low correlations between different parts of, of your portfolio. So what we've seen is that, uh, you know, if you look at a kind of an, the the strategic bond idea where there's some government, some, uh, some investment grade and maybe some high yield, for us, we've got the building blocks for each of those. But if you then add in something like the AT1 product, if you just tweak your allocation slightly what what you can actually do is you can, you can improve returns and lower your your overall volatility of returns because what you're doing is is bringing in an asset which has low correlations with other parts of your portfolio so actually just just by purely diversifying those those sources of risk and and making sure you're not overly concentrated uh, i think is is quite a useful tool within fixed income so the old adage don't put all your eggs in one basket exactly <laughs> okay Passive funds such as ETFs can't actively select or exclude individual securities. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say at the moment, you know, it's time of uncertainty. Wouldn't it be better for investors to access bonds via an active fund such as strategic bond funds we've been talking about? I, I, I think there's, there's opportunities for both active and passive within within the fixed income market. I, I don't think it's about having to make a choice between just purely choosing your active fixed income exposure or choosing to go purely passive. I, th- I think you can look at both of those together uh, and it will allow investors to maybe adjust their views um, or adjust their allocations to, to match their views on, on markets. Um, 
I, I, and I think the way I'd look at it is with, with certain parts of the market, and obviously a strategic bond has, has more flexibility, but if you look at mm. uh, other parts, such as, you know, if you, if you look at a, a US Treasury fund, there isn't necessarily a huge amount of alpha generation that's available because the tools to a to an active fund manager are, are their, their duration risk, their curve risk, maybe some off-benchmark positions, but they'll generally be quite constrained by what they can do relative to their benchmark. So for, for those simple building blocks, uh, such as, as a, a single currency or single country uh, government bond fund, I think you really, particularly in this low-yield world, want to be looking for the lowest cost exposure to that market. So that is is really looking at the passive solution, looking at ETFs in particular. Uh, you, you'll get very low cost uh, exposure to to those markets. You can also be very specific about how you want to target some of your portfolios using passive uh, funds. So you know, as I mentioned, the eighty one product. If you if you saw a particular um, sort of niche within the market, a, a particularly attractive yield within that, you could have made an allocation earlier in the year to, to the eighty ones, which would have worked very well actually that they've been probably our strongest performing fixed income etf so far this year uh so so you would have been able to take that opportunity yourself with a very transparent and easy sort of access tool to that market um i think where you know the active side would work uh is, is maybe for those longer term allocations uh you know a strategic bond works well but it, there will be periods of volatility um there are you know times when when fund managers will underperform so uh, you know, manager selection takes up a certain amount of time. Choosing the right fund uh, to match what you're trying to do um, is is time consuming. So there's there's a balance between you know that longer term allocation, spending some time devoting it to to selecting your active manager, and then the the quick and easy access tools to the market, which you can gain through through the passive market and through ETFs. Okay, now. Another problem with investing in passive funds that track bond indices is that you may be exposed to the companies and governments of most debt, because these are often the largest constituents of bond indices. I mean, how serious a risk is this? And is there anything you can do to avoid it other than accessing bonds via an active rather than a passive fund? So again, th- th- this will be a problem with any fixed income fund that uses a, a simple market capitalization weighted uh, benchmark. Um, you know, the nature of that method does mean that the most indebted countries or companies will have the highest weight in the index. There's, there's no avoiding that. So uh, that may not always appear to be, you know, the best way to express your, your fixed income views. Um, but it's not just a, a problem with the passive funds. Uh, as, as I mentioned, you know, active funds will generally be constrained to a degree against their benchmark and how far they can deviate from from that benchmark. So they are still constrained to a degree on, on how active they can be on, on being under or overweight specific countries or, or companies. So this applies to both active and passive, but maybe to different degrees. There are certain things you can do to, to mitigate some of those risks. Now, the way we design all of our ETF products uh, within EMEA is, is to meet the USITS diversification requirements. Uh, that does avoid unnecessary concentration in, in the largest issuers. Uh, so, so we do make sure that we have uh, diversified benchmarks. Um, but you also have to be aware that the, the more you deviate from market capitalization weights, you can introduce other problems. So by reducing the weights in, in the largest countries or companies and, and increasing the weight into the, the smaller companies or countries, you're tending to, to move the, your allocation to l- 
uh, bonds with lower liquidity. You know, there, there is a, a, a correlation between the amount of debt outstanding and generally the liquidity within that market. So you have to be careful on, on how far you go down that route because you might find that you are actually introducing another risk by, by actually owning a lot of um, a lot of bonds in in uh, companies or countries that don't trade very easily. So th- th- there's there's an ongoing sort of um, monitoring of that, that that you need to do. Now, there, there are other ways that you can um, mitigate that risk. Uh, so, for example, we have a, an emerging market debt, um, local currency emerging market debt ETF, which is, is managed by PIMCO. Now, that uses uh, a GDP-weighted benchmark. So that avoids, you know, the the allocating to the most indebted countries and is trying to to gain access to the the emerging market growth story. Um, for our Fallen Angels product, which, which um, in, invests in in bonds that have been downgraded from investment grade to sub investment grade, we use a, a time weighted methodology. So again, there, there are ways of looking at this to try and um, ensure you you aren't uh, being too concentrated in in, in those those high most highly indebted countries or, or companies. Okay. Now, I suppose I've been looking at the risks of um, bond ETFs, but um, turn to the positive, what are the main arguments in favour of accessing bonds via passive fund? So uh, I, I would start, um, firstly, you know, uh, is that passively managed funds tend to have lower fees than actively managed funds. So so your starting point in a, in a low yield world is, is that low cost exposure. Uh, you know, for example, you know, our core building blocks are, are offered at, at very low cost uh, for governments around six basis points in treasuries and, and, and gilts. Additionally, when you're uh, investing passively, you, you've got a certain level of transparency uh, that, that goes with that. Uh, so, the idea that uh, a passive fund is trying to match a benchmark, you can see how that benchmark has behaved historically in, in different parts of an economic cycle. And you know that, you know, as long as we are tracking effect- efficiently, that's the way it should should continue to behave. Obviously, these, as I mentioned, correlations can change over time. But, but you've got that transparency. Now, in addition to just purely passives... In the ETF world, we're, we're very transparent. Um, you know, the, the actual underlying holdings of the ETFs are available on our website um, all the time. So you don't have that that sort of, you only get the top 10 holdings once a month or once a quarter in your fact sheet. You you can constantly monitor what the ETF is holding. So you do have that level of transparency. Um, the, the other bits are, are maybe, as, as I mentioned, you know, you can use ETFs to target very specific parts of the market, the 81 uh, story that I mentioned earlier, you know, if you'd seen an opportunity there, while while the the strategic bond funds may make an allocation to that because they've seen the opportunity as well, mm. if they don't or they just don't can't find the liquidity because they're very large, perhaps you could could use a, a market access tool like an ETF to be able to to really sort of um, direct where you want to to make some of your your allocation. Finally, it, you know, and this is again specifically uh, an ETF idea. It, it's just really about the liquidity. So, obviously, with, with funds, um, you are having to place an order which will be executed at a, a specific time in the market. Um, it will have to be dealt in the market at that time. Within ETFs, that you know, we're priced through the day. If you decide to buy or sell a fund right now, you can do so. You don't have to wait until the the dealing time, which may be tomorrow at noon and you're you know you have a a 24-hour delay on your your market risk so i i think there's there's a a lot of sort of reasons behind you know accessing the market via passive certainly that cost and transparency is is very important as i say i'm 
I'm not against active management by any means, and, and some of our um, ETFs are are actually active as well. So you know there there is a, a combination, but I think uh, for that low cost access and transparency, ETFs and, and passive vehicles are are particularly useful. Okay, thank you, Paul. Some really interesting and helpful points. And see this week's funds news in the magazine online for Dave's full report on bond funds. That brings us to the end of today's show, but also see this week's Investors Chronicle of a website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more on strategic bond funds, passive investing and the risks and rewards of fixed income. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.